20, verse number 19. I apologize. John 20. I'm thinking of next week's sermon. I'm a week ahead. I need to be on this week. All right, John 20, verse number 19. Start things off. John 20, verse number 19 to start things off. I'm going to try to do things a little bit different for you. Uh, I've even changed my whole ser- sermon structure, and that's why there was some confusion. And so we're in John 20, verse number 19. This is my sermon in a sentence, okay? Sermon in a sentence. When we are afraid... We trust in God's word since God is not just a promise maker, he is a promise keeper. So when we are afraid, we trust in God's word since God is not just a promise maker, he is a promise keeper. Because the sermon title for today is All Fear is Gone. Because he lives, all fear is gone. John 20, uh, verse number 19. Once again, sorry for a little bit of confusion. We'll be in John 20, verse number uh, 19. On that evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So John's gospel, once again, if you do not remember from a couple weeks ago, John's gospel is from a first-hand account. So remember, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are four Gospels, right? Two of those accounts by Matthew and John are firsthand. So they are in the room. They're in the moment. They are witnessing everything through their own eyes. They're just retelling what has happened to them. Mark's Gospel, John Mark is actually what his name was. Mark's Gospel is actually where he went around interviewing people, collecting stories, and compiling the Gospel of Mark, okay? Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel comes after those gospels. He comes around and does interviews as well. He's a doctor, he's a physician, and he gathers information, and he himself publishes the gospel according to Luke, okay? So remember, John is in the room, Luke is not in the room. This is very important because I do want you to notice this is one of the first ever AA anonymous meetings, You might say, what's the AA meeting? This is the first ever afraid and anonymous meeting, amen? Uh, Because they were afraid and they didn't want nobody to know who they were, right? So this is an AA meeting that's taking place. They were locked up in there. So do understand, this is before Jesus ever appears to them, and they are locked in this room. They've got all the doors shut. They've got all the bars on the windows and bars on their heart, right? I mean, they've got everything you can imagine. They are locked up tight, looking at a map of the world, thinking, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Why? Because somebody has stole the body of Jesus. The women have gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, this is bad. This is Death Con 5, amen? This is bad, bad, bad. And you can see here that John's version, I love it, it's quick. He says, we were in the room. Jesus shows up. Jesus shows his scars. We were glad. We were glad. You ever notice that when somebody speeds through a story, there's more to the story, Amen. You know, kind of like if you have kids, if your kids tell you what happened, it's very quick, you know there's something else, right? Like, you're like, what are you not telling me, right? Because they'll go through it very, very quickly. And so, in John's gospel, he writes this, it's very quick, he says, he came, he showed, we saw, we believed. Uh, right? Like, that's, that's what John says. But I love Dr. Luke. Look what Luke says in Luke 24. That's Luke 24, right? Uh, Luke 24, verse number 36. As they were talking about these things, this is the same context, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Verse 37 in Luke chapter 24. But they were afraid, they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. 
And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do you d- doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse number 40 in Luke 24. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And, when they, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you got here anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled, broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. Don't you love the Bible? Because in case you didn't see this, look, John's gospel, Jesus shows up. He showed, we saw, we believe. Luke says, no, 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 no. Luke says, Jesus shows up. They all go, ah! They all freak out. Some of y'all jumped. I mean, you know what I mean? Like They freak out. They're like, oh my gosh, it's a ghost! I mean, you know what I mean? Like They're like, somebody, David Blaine! I mean, you know, they're running for the room. They're fleeing for their lives. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, calm down. Calm down, bros. Calm down, it's me. It's me. Look at my hands. I woke the baby up. This is not good. Uh, Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Like, look at me. It's me. It's me. Guys, they are so out of their minds scared that Jesus has to calm them down saying, you ain't fish filet sandwiches. You ain't ain't fish tacos. You got anything? You got one of them, you know, anybody got any fish? Because give me the fish and I'll eat the fish to show you I'm real. He takes the fish. They're like, he eats it. Swallows it. Oh, it's Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. It is Jesus. So you can see here that, they, that Jesus shows up when they are locked up, locked in fear, you could say. And that's our first point. Jesus meets us in our fears. Jesus meets us in our fears. And this is very important because you understand many people believe in the Bible that sometimes God will come and remove you from circumstances, and that is not the God of the Bible. Our God, who we believe in, doesn't remove circumstances, but he joins us in circumstances. So he doesn't remove us. He doesn't remove us from pain. He doesn't remove us from struggle. He joins us in the pain and struggle. And you know this from even biblical records. You know this from even thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The Abednego boys. You think about how they were in the fiery furnace. God didn't remove them out of the furnace, but what did he do? He joined them in the fire. And so he joined them there. You think of Peter even on the water. Guess what? He already, he joins Jesus, and then when he's sinking, Jesus joins him and lifts him up out of the water. Because the thing you need to understand about Jesus is, once again, Jesus joins us in our fears. Guys, it should not even surprise us that we get afraid. Why? Because that's part of our flesh, so to speak. That's part of our human experience where we literally feel fear because we know we are fragile. We know we break, we bruise. We know that we have a fear that is healthy that keeps us alive, so to speak. A survival drive inside of us that keeps us alive in a sense. So that's a good healthy fear. But a majority of people do not ever have a good healthy fear, they have an unhealthy fear. But the good news about it all is Jesus meets us in our fears. I remember being a kid and I would be terrified and I remember if I could just get in my mom's presence, I would feel a lot better. There'd be many a mornings she would wake up after I was scared of the dark. You might be like, why are you scared of the dark? Because I had a brother named Patrick who would sneak up in my bedroom and grab my ankle in the middle of the night uh, just to try to scare the bejesus out of me, right? Like he always did that. So I was terrified in the dark. I remember my bedroom was the furthest bedroom from mom's bedroom, and I would book it as fast as I could with my pillow and my cover, and boom. You know what I mean? And just lay there because I just wanted to get close to her because her presence brought me peace in a lot of ways. 
I remember when Esther was first born, we brought her home. Some of you, like I did, like you have these panic attacks. In the middle of the night, you're thinking, is she still breathing? Are they still breathing? I know some of you old school people, y'all probably had a string above the crib. You'd watch that string. That's some heavy breathing. Let me tell you something. Your toddler had asthma. You didn't know it, amen? Uh, because that's some heavy breathing be moving a string. But do understand, like you've probably been there like I did. There's been many a days, many a nights I'd wake up, go in there and put my hands right above her little mouth, make sure if it, and I, I'd even put my hand on her chest. You know what I mean? Like some of you got even small children now, you do those things. But then our lives change forever and we discover one of God's good gifts, the old outlet sock, amen? That sock, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's an outlet where you literally take this sock. Kenneth, this is going to blow your mind. This is going to blow your mind. You ready for this? I mean, it's going to blow the rest of your hair off. It's going to be like, boom. Uh, so the, it's a sock you put on an infant's leg, on her little foot, you put it in the crib, and it sends a reading to Emily's phone that she's still breathing. <laughs> Magic! <laughs> and so, dude, it's pretty crazy. Like, it's a sock that you put on an infant, and it sends a response to Emily's phone. So in the app, you can watch her heart beating. You can watch her oxygen levels. Literally, it'll tell you. And, it, and the coolest thing about it is right beside my side of the bed, there's the docking station, and it's got a ring around it. And when that ring is gray, it means it's on the charging pad. When the ring is green, guess what? Green means good. It's circling because it shows you she is breathing good. She's perfectly fine. Guys, this thing works even though in the house. Like, it'll tell you, like, she's good. She's fine. I want to wear the sock all the time. Emily says, you're overprotective. <laughs> I'm thinking she ought to wear this thing every day. But yet, guess what? When the sock is disconnected, it goes yellow. And it'll let you know because it starts singing a lullaby, letting you know, guess what? The baby's loose. <laughs> and so the yellow's good. And then, guess what? If she does stop breathing, or if there's a massive problem, it'll go red. And when it goes red, it sends an alert that'll wake you up from a dead sleep. So here's the thing. Do you understand? I got a point for all this. Us getting the sock as a gift, praise God for that, amen. Some of y'all, you know, I mean, it was a gift. Don't be thinking, we rolling high, we ain't. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was a gift. Thanks be to God, when I, when, there was times when I would first get up and I'd go check her. But now, all I got to do, Donnie, is when I'm laying there sleeping and I get worried, all I got to do. <sighs> we green, baby. When I see green, it means go back to sleep, amen. Uh, because I know green means good. Now, here's the thing. That green, that light, and all that stuff didn't change the situation, but it gave me comfort in the situation. Why? Because of the peace that that thing brought in our lives. See what I'm saying? And I said that to get you, let you know that, guess what? Jesus doesn't change situations by Him being in our lives. Him being in, us being in His presence changes the situation. Does that make sense? He doesn't change situations, but by Him being in situations, it does change the situation. Some of y'all thinking, that don't make no sense. It does. If you think about it, it really, really does. Because his power changes things. Look what John chapter 20, verse number 21 says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it will be withheld. So I don't want you to read this, and I don't want you to think that if we don't forgive people, that we have the power of their eternity. That's not what John's getting at. That's not what he's alluding to. 
He's alluding to the, guess what, point number two, Jesus sends us in his power. So here's the great shift. The great shift is the Trinity operated like this, remember? The Father sent the Son, the Son sends the Spirit. Are you with me? Kind of like that, remember, we talked about roles in the Trinity. We're not talking about order of the Trinity. We're talking about roles in the Trinity. Remember our series back in January? See, I'm thinking that was a long time ago. We talked about how the Father loves the world, so he sends the Son, right? We talked about the Son loves the church, so he sends the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, y'all remember this? Go back and listen to the podcast, uh, because that's what happened. So Jesus sends us in his power. So this is pretty cool if you think about it. The sent one becomes the sender. Jesus now, after the resurrection, sends us out. And he doesn't send us out empty-handed. He sends us out full of his Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, and that changes everything. That changes everything. Why, guys? Because when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you, the Bible says. So really think about it. So instead of you might thinking, well, the outlet stays with you on the outside, it has to go back on the docking station. No, think about how we have the power of the Holy Spirit with us all the time. All the time. Like, there's not a moment, we're not Old Testament saints, where if you walk out of God's commandments and you lose the Spirit of God, no, thanks to Christ, thanks to what the resurrection bought us, guess what? We now have God's Spirit that dwells inside of us till the day we even are dead. And guess what? That day, guess what? God's Spirit will take us home. Think about the power of that. Think about the gravity of that. So he sends us out in our power, and to quote a great theologian, look at, look at this, this is Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, with great power comes what? Like six people, amen? Yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. So the responsibility is not that we have the power to forgive people, but now we have the power to share the story about the one who can forgive people. So here's what, he's, here's what John is getting at here. Whenever you do not share the good news, you are holding back forgiveness from somebody. You're holding back the goodness of God for somebody. You're more or less telling that individual, you're not worth my time and you're not worth God's time. Whenever we don't share the story of what God has done for us. So think about that. We have got great power through God's Spirit, but it comes with great responsibility. Because the power is in the going. You ever had a time in your life, maybe I hopefully you have, where you've shared the gospel with somebody and you, during that moment, you had a supernatural occurrence of just peace? where the words came out right, where everything was good. And leading up to that moment, guess what? You were nervous. You were bashful. You were shy. You're like, I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to mess this up. My words are not going to be good. And God's Spirit just takes over. God's Spirit takes over, and you've got a peace that passes understanding, and you can have a conversation. Isn't it amazing how God does it? But that's what God promised to do. Why? Because He will never leave us or forsake us. He's always going to be with us. But don't worry, isn't it good to know that even though 10 of them were in that room, there's always somebody missing, right? Always somebody MIC. You know what MIC means? Missing in church, baby. Amen. Always somebody MIC. We got some people MIC in today, right? They MIC and they everywhere else but here. And look what it says in John 20, verse number 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And he said, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my fingers in the mark of the nails and place my hands in his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. 
So that's the thing. Thomas was missing. We don't know where Thomas was. We don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was at a fantasy draft. Amen. Maybe he was over at the ball field. Maybe he was over at another, group, another family meeting. Whatever it was, he was not with them at the time. He was not with them. He was MIC, missing in church. And so he was MIC, and he had a lot of doubts. I love this. It says that ten men, ten men, all ten of them except for Thomas were there. Do the math. There's twelve. Remember Judas, he gone. Uh, you know, we've got Thomas and the other ten. All ten of his best friends are in that room. All ten of those men come to him and says, we have seen the Lord, and he denies all ten of them. He denies all ten of them. Let me just pause for a second here and talk about something else. When everybody in your life is trying to tell you a truth and you won't listen, you're being a fool. When everybody in your life is trying to tell you a truth and you won't listen, you're being a fool. What do I mean by that? If you're dating that boy and you're thinking he's the one, your family hates him, he ain't the one. I'm telling you. When you're sitting there, you're thinking, well, we're going to make it real far. You ain't going to make it to to middle names, amen? Uh, Because I'm telling you, your family can see things that you can't see. Because love is blind. I prove you love is blind. Look at some of y'all. Amen. You married way up. Uh, Amen. I can tell you love is blind. And not only is love blind, but love is very forgetful. Why? Because you ever look back on your life at somebody you used to date, and you look back and thinking, what was I thinking? But at the time, you go back and read Facebook memories, you're like, what was I thinking? You feel real good about yourself until those memories show up. You're thinking, I was an idiot. Because nobody's more embarrassing than your Facebook post from 2009. <laughs> Nobody is more embarrassing than those things. Because ten men persuade him each time, guess what? We have seen the Lord. And I love Thomas. I love Thomas because guess what? He's honest. Because here's the thing you understand about Thomas. Thomas didn't want the resurrected Jesus. He wanted the pre-death Jesus. He wanted his Jesus. He didn't want the Jesus of the Bible. He wanted his Jesus. And this is where we get really, really tricky. This gets really, really complicated. There are many people in this room, maybe even, who you have your Jesus, quotation marks, but your Jesus is not the same as the Jesus of the Bible. And that's a problem. Why is it a problem? Why? Because when you take God and make him into something he is not, you create a false God. You create a false God. Why? Because God no longer determines who he is or what he does or his character, but you determine who God is and what he does and his character. And that's really dangerous. Why? Because you've made God into an idol. You've made God something he is not. You've made God into a false God. That's your God, nobody else's God. And it's really dangerous. That's why you have to read this book. Because this book tells you who God is. It reveals God's character to us. Progressive revelation. It shows us who God is. Some of you think God of the Old Testament is different than Jesus. No, they're one and the same. Jesus said it like this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's saying, guess what? I am equal with God in nature and in everything. I am the total presence of God right here among you. And you might think, Pastor Nick, why is this such a big deal? Because we have people even on social media saying, well, that ain't my Jesus. I'm thinking, sister, read a Bible. I'm thinking, brother, instead of sharing that post, why don't you get in the Word of God? Because we live, ladies and gentlemen, in this easy believism culture where everybody wants to take God and make him and turn him into something he is not. If you was asked for where our culture is at nowadays, our culture is heavy on grace, heavy on love, but really, really terrible when it comes to obedience. We're really heavy on grace and mercy. We're not heavy on justice. 
And let me promise you, there can only be mercy because there is wrath, and there can only be grace because there is love, in a sense. And there there are opposite ends of the coin, so to speak, in a lot of these things. Like I said, God can only have love and mercy and grace only because He has wrath, anger, and justice. You can't have it both ways. Because some people are under the illusion that they think how they live doesn't matter. And I promise you, if you're a born-again believer in this book, if you're a born-again person in God's family, you will act how your daddy wants you to act. Why? Because he's your father. And God changes your life through the power of his spirit over time. So it's not a license to sin. It's not a thing where I can do whatever I want. No, you need to read Galatians where they even said, we can live how we want to, but that grace may abound. And Paul's like, no, 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 you do not understand grace if you think you can live how you want to. Because we've been bought with a price. It's not you get to live how you want to. And so you might think, Pastor, what if I am somebody who I have said a prayer, if I've been baptized and I have no conviction of sin, I've got no remorse when I do wicked things, I have no conviction in my life whatsoever, I get to live however I want to all the time, then I would arguably say, you're probably not saved. I would arguably say, when you miss church, if you don't miss church, something's wrong with that. Because when you miss church, you should miss it. You should miss being with the people of God. You should miss dining at the Lord's table. You should miss whenever those things get interrupted. But sadly, in our day and age, I hate to say this even more, but we live in a day and age where, guess what? Everybody wants the good gifts of God, but they don't want God. They want what God has, but they don't want to do what God has told them to do. And it's not a relationship after all. That's a sugar daddy. Let me promise you, God's not your sugar daddy. He's your father. There's a huge difference in those two phrases. Huge difference in those two phrases. So Thomas tells them, unless I, he wanted his Jesus, right? He wanted the physical Jesus he had seen before the resurrection. Unless I see, unless I place my hands, unless I do this, I will never believe. It was all about him. All about him. Let's see what happens here. In John 20, verse number 26. Eight days later, Eight days later, this is really important that John throws this detail in here, because eight days later, this is a week after the resurrection. You might be thinking it's eight days, Pastor, it's seven days. They would count the day that they're counting on. Eight days later, they, they were together again. So this is on the Lord's Day. This is a week after the resurrection. His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Look what John says in verse 26. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Isn't it good to know Jesus don't need a house key? He don't need a code to your garage, amen. He can just show up anytime he wants to. So eight days later, he shows that detail. Why? Because this is after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is following the Jewish calendar. They would have, uh, they would have Passover. They would have the Feast of Unleavened Bread that would be included into Passover. And at the end of that, they would disperse from Jerusalem and go back home. So do understand, whenever it says the disciples were all together for eight days, like I said, they were together celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is huge because if Jesus doesn't show back up, you know where each one of these men go? Each one of these men, they go back home. And you have to remember the gospel tale. You have to remember the story of how Jesus calls his disciples. The disciples were not from the same area at the same place. They were spread out around the area. 
So here's the big thing. Here's what you need to understand. When we read the Bible carefully, we see that if Jesus doesn't show up right here, after this feast is over, guess what? They all go home. They all go home to their houses. But if Jesus does show up, if Jesus does arrive like he said he would again, if Jesus does appear in that upper room again, guess what happens? Everything changes. Because now the man who they thought was God who was dead, if he's been, re- if he's been resurrected, guess what? Everything he said was true. If you see a man walk out of a grave, I don't know about you, but I'm following that dude. Because that's a huge big deal. So look what he says there. Jesus shows up. Peace be with you. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Guys, that's you. That's me. That little tag there, John writes in there, Blessed are the people who do not see, but yet they still believe. Guys, that's me and you. Because I've never seen him, I've never seen Jesus in the flesh, in the spirit. I've never seen him in an out-of-body experience. I've never been praying, and I look up, and he's in my room. If I do, I'm calling somebody else. Say, man. Because here's the reality. We live in a hyper, hyper, hyper spiritual age where people are always saying, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. And they always say it very twistedly, where they say, when I saw the Lord, he looked different in a sense they say he looked this he looked that and i want to remind you of this every person who sees the resurrected king is afraid of him i want to let that i want to let you that sink in with you in a minute the men who were with him for three and a half years who knew what he looked like knew what he smelled like who knew everything about his life when he shows up they are terrified Why? Because when you stand in the presence of a holy, almighty God, you feel small. You feel small. How do I know this? Road to Damascus. Paul's riding his high horse, right? Right? He's riding his high horse on the way to Damascus. He's got his papers to go kill some, Jew- go kill some Jewish Christians, right? He's riding, guess what? Jesus shows up, bro falls back, bro hits the ground like he's dead, and the bro is blinded. Not only that, but guess what else happens? When John is on Patmos being exiled by the Roman officials, guess what? He is on Patmos exiled. The Bible says when he shows up to John, Jesus shows up. Guess what? John says, I fell at his feet like I was dead. Because when you stand in the presence of a holy God, there is nothing but fear and terror that grips you. Because you truly understand who you are. You truly understand who you are. doesn't matter how righteous you are. It doesn't matter how holy you are. When you stand in God's presence, this is the big thing you understand. All of us will feel extremely small because we are. You will feel inadequate. Because a good fear of the Lord, a good reverence for the Lord, is a great thing to have. Why? Because He is the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is, guess what? Fear of the Lord. You fear the Lord, why? Because He is so very different than we are. He's holy. He's different. 
You know, in that survey part where it says, you know, what are you? And it says other. He's the other. He is in a different category than me and you ever could hope to be. And that makes him different. And that makes Jesus different here. He's the resurrected king. He's not just their friend anymore. He's not just their companion. He now, the things have shifted. How have things shifted? Because he's been glorified. And he's been glorified to the point, guess what, where he's got a glorified body that bears eternity. You've got to remember that. Our bodies will be changed like his because our bodies cannot bear eternity. But someday, guess what, they will be changed to bear eternity. Why? Because of God's promise to us through the resurrection. But look what it says here. It says, Thomas looked at him and said, My Lord and my God. Guys, notice that. This is the first proclamation the first proclamation that Jesus is the Lord after the resurrection. This is the first time somebody connects and says, this is Jesus, but it's also the Lord. So you remember how Peter is giving credit for saying, you know, I believe you are the Son of God. And Jesus tells him, you know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven has revealed this to you. Remember that? So that happens when Jesus was in the flesh, right, pre-resurrection. After the resurrection, though, that title goes to Thomas because he looks at him and says, you're my Lord, you're my God. We're not told if Thomas takes his finger and puts it in Jesus' side. The text doesn't say that. Do you notice? It doesn't say that. It says Jesus offers him his hands. It says Jesus offers him his side. But it never says Thomas takes him up on it. Because I firmly believe, church, listen to me very carefully here, when you truly experience God's presence, you quit looking for proof. Because his proof is in his presence. The proof is in his presence. Because when you really understand that he lives, all fear is gone. Why? Because his presence has changed the room. You see, they were in the room, they were terrified, they were losing their minds, looking for the first flight out of Jerusalem through Southwest, amen. They were looking to get out of there. They didn't matter. They said, I'll fly Allegiant, amen. I don't even care. Put me on United, amen. I don't care who I fly, get me out of here. And the Bible says whenever Jesus shows up, guess what? Everything changes. Everything changes. Now, here's the thing. Jerusalem didn't change. You might be like, well, what's the big deal about Jerusalem? Guys, Three days earlier, they had killed the man. Three days earlier, Pilate had ordered Jesus be crucified. Jesus shows up to the disciples. They're locked up. Boom. One week later, guess what? The Romans are looking for a body. The Romans are knocking on doors. Do you have the body of Christ in here? The Romans are searching people. The Romans know who these disciples are. So I don't know about you. I don't blame them for being afraid. I don't blame them for trying to run. You might be thinking, I'd have faith. You would have been gone. I would have been gone. Because we would have been terrified. You might be like, well, how do you know that, Pastor? We get scared to come to church when it's raining. You tell me you're going to show up and Romans are looking for us? Get out of here, bro. Because I'm telling you, we would be scared. We would be terrified. But look what happens here. Our last point, I mean, our last point before we get into our big takeaway. Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, replaces our fear with trust in the Father. 
So that's a big deal. You understand, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, replaces our fear with trust in the Father. Because here's the thing, as soon as they saw this guy, as soon as Jesus materialized in front of them, the Bible doesn't say how he showed up. It just says every door was locked, every window was closed, AT&T was on, baby, amen. And boom, no motion sensor, no Jimmy lock, no broken in, no glass shattered. Jesus was bam, right there. It says they looked around, he was there among them. As soon as they saw it, as soon as he got the fish fillet, as soon as he showed them his scar, as soon as he showed them his, their, his hands, as soon as as they truly recognize who he was, they remembered, guess what? If death cannot stop this man, why would I not follow him? They were fully convinced. Because, guys, they had seen something they could not explain. They had seen something that in all reality did not make sense. We saw him die. He was dead. But yet here he is. And that changed their lives. Guys, you understand, these men, this changed their entire lives. You know, everybody gives Thomas a bad rep. Everybody gives Thomas a bad rep. Doubting Thomas, you, you being a doubting Thomas. No, let me tell you something, you would have been a doubter too. But everybody gives Thomas a bad rep. But you know what the Bible, church history, not the Bible necessarily, but church history tells us about Thomas, because Thomas kind of goes off the pages. If you did not know, after the Gospels, the only two really disciples you really, really hear about is John and Peter, that's about it. The rest of them kind of, whoop, 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 they phase out. But Thomas, through church history, we know, do you know what he did after the persecution started in Jerusalem and the first church was scattered? We know that he went east. He left Jerusalem, he went east. Some people even estimate that he went as far as modern-day India. Now, I don't know about you, but looking at a globe, Jerusalem right here, India way over here, Right? I mean, it's on a quarter of the grove. I mean, that's a lot of walking uphill, amen? See how flat earthers didn't get the joke. <laughs> amen? That's a long way. He went all the way to India, sharing the gospel all the way he went. And eventually this man, who is a beautiful part of the story, this man who finally believed after seeing where a spear had struck our Lord, after seeing where nails had pressed his, pierced his hands, this man, Thomas, he would go on to die being speared to death by those who would not receive the good news he had in Christ. So the man who looked at the pierced man to believe now was dying being pierced for the man he believed in. I told this to somebody the other day when I was having a gospel conversation. Let me remind you of this, church. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I don't have enough faith. Because here's the truth of reality. Every place in this book, you can go get on a plane and go there. Right now, if you were to get on a plane, go to Jerusalem, they can tell you Jesus stood within 20 feet of where you're standing. In that moment, Caesarea Philippi, you can go there. You can see the places where Paul preached. But this is not some made-up story. This is not some far-off land this is not, you know, the, the Shire. This is not, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia entering into the wardrobe. This is not any of that. This is not Hogwarts. This is not any of those places you read in these books because here's the reality, guys. It's all true. It's all true. And it's all true, why? Because God keeps his promises. It's all true because let me remind you of that. I want to just remind you of that sermon in a sense because it is so true. 
When we are afraid, we trust in God's word since God is not just a promise maker, he is a promise keeper. Guys, every time God has given his word, he keeps it. He ain't like you when you tell your wife, I'm going to do that later. Four years later. He's not you, right? God keeps his word. When he says he will do it, he does it. It might seem slow to us, but everything is right on time for the Lord. Because God is a promise keeper and he is a way maker. And you might be like, Pastor, what if I'm afraid? What if I find myself, you know, I know how you said Jesus doesn't change our situation, but he shows up in our situation. And you said, because that, our situation changes. But I, I don't believe that. I need, some, I need something more tangible. I need something to kind of get me through these hard days and long nights. I really need something more. Well, I've got something more for you. Psalms verse 56. I don't know if they have it for the screen or not. I don't know. I can't remember. Maybe they do. I hope they do. But I'm going to put it up there. I'm going to read it to you. And I want you to notice here what David says in Psalms 56. Psalmist of David here. Look what he says in verse number 3. They do have it up there. Good job, guys. Good job. All right, verse number 3 and 4. Look what he says here. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Verse number 4. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? You might be like, Pastor Nick, that's good. Have faith in God. Have faith in God's word. That's really good. But I need a little bit more. Would it make you feel in good company that even though you're afraid, that even men in this Bible were afraid? David writes those words, right? In verse 3 and 4, you're thinking, he's, he's afraid. But he says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in the Lord. Wouldn't it be great if he just ended it right there? But it goes on. Just a little bit further down the passage, I don't know if they put this in there or not. They might not have. I don't know. We'll skip on down. They did. Look at y'all. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise. Next verse. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I'm not a smart man, but 3 and 4 comes before verses 10 and 11. Anybody agree with that? Like, I'm not a very smart man, but I kind of figured that out. Like, looking at a paper, like, those would be up here, these would be down here. So in this psalm, in David's journal, he is writing, guess what? I will not be afraid. I will put my trust in God's word because God keeps his word. I will trust him. What can flesh do to me? couple stanzas down, guess what? What does he say again? I will put my trust in the Lord. I will trust in his word. What can man do to me? Because the secret, I firmly believe, to us overcoming fear is getting God's word inside of our lives, inside of our hearts, so that when we are afraid, guess what? We repeat God's words back to us. We internalize Scripture so it becomes our war chest whenever the fears of doubt and the fears of circumstances take on our lives. We internalize Scripture. We read it and memorize it in such a way that whenever we're going through something, we remind ourselves of what God has told us. We remind ourselves of what God has told us. Because you know why this record exists? This record exists to prove to you one big, big thing. God is faithful. I love the Old Testament. If, you don't, if you've never been around before, I'm heavy on Old Testament. I mention it a lot. I love doing Old Testament figure studies because... You see God's hand of faithfulness in narrative literature. 
you see God is faithful. You read about your problems, you're thinking, nobody in the Bible's got problems like I do. Have you read about some of these people? They jacked up. None of them be qualified to serve in our uh, ministry, amen? Think about it. Moses fills out an application, murder. You know, previous activity. You know what I'm saying? Like, literally, think about that. That's on his previous activity. You think about David, adulterer. Keep, keep going down the list. Anybody want to pick out? Guess what? All flawed people in the hands of a masterful God. And God tells them over and over again, do not be afraid. You know why I kept saying do not be afraid? It wasn't because they were good, because they were mighty. You know why I told them do not be afraid? It always, every time you see this phrase, I can promise you, it always followed by this phrase. Do not be afraid. And it says comma. You know why? Because I'm with you. Do not be afraid, comma, because I am with you. If you always ask me, when do we really get truly afraid? I would argue it's because we're not with God. In some ways, I would argue it's because we're not with God, so we don't have the peace of his presence. Now, I'm sure we do get afraid. Don't get me wrong. And I do want to take a moment here to say, I, I think it's really wrong for people to say this. And there are people in the camp that do say this. They say, well, if you're really a Christian, you don't need to be on you know, any type of medication. You need to have all faith, faith over fear. You don't need to have common sense, you know, for, you know faith over COVID. This is a bunch of bull malarkey. Let me tell you something. Those gifts of medication that helps you lower maybe anxiety, helps you maybe manage your fears, helps you maybe function more on a normal level when it comes to chemical levels in your bodies. I firmly believe, hear this from this pastor who loves you, those are good, good gifts of God. Those are good gifts of God where God has somehow allowed that person to go in and develop a drug that can help offset a chemical imbalance in your body, in your brain, and I think that's a good gift of God. I think you would be very foolish not to take up your doctor's recommendation to be on medication for that. There's nothing wrong with that. doesn't mean you have less faith. doesn't mean you're not a true Christian. doesn't mean you're on, you, you, you have an issue. Guys, let me remind you of this. Those are good gifts of God. But I will say this at times too, though. I do find when I have moments of doubt, that's me feeding my fear. And anything you feed, it gets bigger. Anything you feed gets bigger. Exhibit A, right? Amen. So me, I'm thinking, I wish I'd get in shape. Quit eating so much. Amen. Because anything you feed, it gets bigger, right? So if we want to feed our faith, you feed it with God's faithfulness. If you want to feed your fear, you feed it with anxiety and doubt and waves of uncertainty. You know, I can help you just real quick. Here's some practical things. I didn't mean to get into this, but it's part of it. Instead of you waking up in the morning, open up Facebook, open up your Bible app in the morning, read that instead. Instead of getting up, see, thinking, you get them, Pastor, get them people about social media. Instead of turning on the news and feeding your brain just fear and panic, and we're all going to die. A constant news cycle that all the time is, and you're thinking, I don't know why I'm so scared all the time. Get off your phone. Get off the TV. Turn it off. Get outside. Play with your kids. These are things you can do that are very practical to help you starve your fears. I mean, yeah, starve your fears and feed your faith. Just be in the room. Because you know what happens when you're not in the room? I think Thomas will tell us. You know what happens when you're not in the room? You miss things. 